We all agree that discipleship is important, but we often feel we have no time. In this first episode of our two-part conversation with Tommy Thompson, join us as we talk about creating space to breathe in your life on this week's Noble Man podcast. Well, folks, welcome to a new episode of the Nobleman Podcast. I am super excited to have with me today a guest from Richmond. He is a he is a local connection that I have just made recently as I learned about some guys who are passionate about mentoring. And I got to I, someone told me about Tommy Thompson, and so he and I connected, and I found out a book that he's written and some of his life story. And so I am just excited to have Tommy Thompson here with us. Tommy, welcome to the Nobleman Podcast. I appreciate you taking time to uh, join us for this. Uh, thanks so much, Mike. It's a, a privilege to be here, and it's uh, fun to share a story and create new friendships. Amen. Well, listen, part of what I learned, you and I had a lengthy phone conversation a few months ago, and I was just amazed at the eclectic nature of your story, how God's had you in business and ministry and and just a variety of different experiences in life. And God doesn't waste any day or any time in preparing us for what he wants us to do. Some of us just have uh, paths that wander about a bit and we learn <laughs> different things along the way. I, I know my pathway to ministry has been atypical. And so share us with us a little bit about your journey and the types of things that God has brought you through to, to get you to where you are in life. Well, great, glad to. Uh, I mean, I'd like to say it was all a nice, strategic, well-thought-out, designed plan, but I think of the verse of Proverbs 19, uh, you know, man makes his plans, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. So initially out of college, Davidson College, uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do and had been involved in the university uh, fellowship ministry at Davidson. And out of not having anything to do, I went to seminary and I uh, <laughs> ended up uh, coming out of seminary, worked for a couple of years as a chaplain in a local school here in Richmond, got my master's of divinity degree. And in the process of that last year or so, uh, was connecting with my brother, who is an entrepreneur and was, you know, running a couple of small businesses and frankly, just became enthralled with what he was doing. And so right as I got my master's of divinity degree, I decided to join him in business and which right. really threw a lot of people for a loop. What are you doing after all these years? But we had a great run of 35 now plus years of being in a wide array of businesses. Uh, I usually was involved in running the finances of the businesses. I, I was CEO of a couple of them. Uh, we had everything from a chain of retail stores to tool manufacturing, screen printing, video production, uh, real estate, um, and a few others that I I'm, I'm, can't remember right off the top of my head. And so it was all over the board. And, uh, you know, it was just fun, the challenge of trying to create a business, create a culture, uh, make a difference in people's lives in the business world. And all during that time, I was also just so passionate about teaching. That's my real love is just communicating, 
helping guide, encourage, teach people in their walk with Christ. And I think that coming out of the business world, that always gave me a sense that I wanted to help people find uh, a holistic way of living, that, that it wasn't just about spiritual development, that so many people, uh, while that's absolutely critical, were getting stumped up because yeah. their personal habits were bad, or they were in a bad uh, relationship, or their finances were out of, uh, out of sorts. And so my teaching was always about how do you how do you live a whole life? I think that's what God wants us to do. It's an abundant whole. So did a lot of teaching through uh, all those years uh, while I was running the businesses, uh, and then as as I think you know from from the from the book that I wrote, we had a, a you know a major turn in our life. Uh, right about the time that I was 50 years old when uh, when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer. And that caused me to go through a season of pulling back from uh, most of my involvement to be able to take care of my family and my daughter during uh, what ended up being a long season. Uh, and then uh, she died in 2016 after a six and a half year battle with cancer. And I then decided to transition into uh, coaching, some a little bit of consulting, writing, podcasting, because I really wanted to devote this last season of my life to trying to make a real difference, direct difference in people's lives. Not that I didn't in the business world, but I felt real called to give my total energy to trying to impact people's lives for good and for God. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate that so much. I love the different types of businesses and your roles and all of that. It, it strikes me. I think it was Billy Graham who said that the, the best place for the, for evangelism is in the marketplace. And I just love the fact that you were in the marketplace with a seminary degree and had an opportunity to be a witness for the Lord in that environment, in the way that you conducted business, in the way that you treated employees and that sort of thing. So tell me about that. Did you find that to be the case that you had ample opportunity to do ministry through the context of business? And I, I would say that sometimes you have more opportunity there than you do in the local church. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's totally true. Now, I, I have to admit that I've definitely do not see myself as uh, having a gift of evangelism or being a natural sure. evangelist. And so I think that uh, I chose to live my faith in a, a quiet way that uh, was more by invitation uh, than sure. by putting myself out there. And I found that as I just tried to live a good life and as I tried to be honest and operate with integrity and treat people well, that that's all I needed to do to create the opportunities where people would then come to me and want to right. hear my story. And I never, I never kind of uh, pretended like I wasn't 
you know, uh, a, right, a right. Thing, but I didn't need to uh, push it out there. It really, those sure. opportunities came very naturally. And that that's what always felt, I guess, genuine and authentic to me uh, is just uh, love people and the opportunities will come. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's critical. It's relational evangelism that you build a relationship by the way that you treat people and the winsomeness of that relationship becomes attractive. Jesus in us is attractive by the way we live our lives. And so people want to know why are you different and what what makes you operate the way that you do. So fantastic. Now, I want to also look at that from the other direction and say, I love to hear stories of businessmen and successful men outside of the local church having effective ministries through the local church. So you were you were bringing your gift of teaching and your love for teaching into the local church, and you were actively engaged in training, discipleship, and, and using that gift. So I, I just love the fact that you were taking Christ into the business place in one direction, and you were bringing your skill set into the church in the other direction, just kind of maximizing what God had given you. So speak yeah. to the, the the part of being an active layman in that way. Well, I think, I think what was really exciting to me is that uh, I, I think the choice to devote the time that I did to, to teaching uh, a large adult Sunday school class for about uh, 15 years and the very fact that I wasn't coming from a ministry background gave me a, a credibility that uh, often unfairly ministers don't have. That that too many people that are lay people and in raising families or running businesses uh, write off things that ministers say because they go, oh, well, they have to say this. And it's easier for them. Well, the fact that I was running multiple businesses while I was doing this teaching and wasn't getting paid a set to do it, there was um, a credibility that I think came along with it. And frankly, also, there was a lot of grace. I mean, if I messed sure. up, people went, well, that, that's no problem. They, we don't give that kind of grace to the ministers when, if they you know, misspeak a, a, a single word. So it was, it was really a delightful season of just the Holy Spirit moving in powerful ways. Uh, as I taught about, uh, yet led a year-long class on uh, building a marriage, um, Right. about a class called Outrageous Living. It was just it was just a fun wind of the Holy Spirit during that time. Um, and that was what really brought me joy. I love the business. I love the challenge of it. But I was just so filled with uh, a sense of purpose and meaning by what I was doing on the side in a, a sense yeah. in the church. Yeah. Hey, and you know what, guys who are listening, I, I just hope you will grab a hold of what Tommy is saying here, because, you know, I would I, I would venture to guess that there was an endless source of examples and illustrations in the business world that that find their way into your teaching. And 
So, man, you become a valuable kingdom asset when you're willing to raise your hand and say, yes, I will lead, I will teach, I will invest in other people. And um, so I just love it when guys are willing to do that instead of showing up on Sunday morning or whenever to just be poured into all the time. They're willing to pour out what the Lord has given them. We've we've got to mobilize more guys to do that. You agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's a challenge. And that's a challenge that, that I speak about in the book, because we're all kind of beginning from a position of overload. And so right. it, it's such a struggle to figure out, well, how could we possibly create space to do those things, even though we might all agree they're worthwhile things to do? That's right. Well, you mentioned the book and and overload. So let's let's move to that. Your book is titled Space to Breathe Again, Hope for the Overloaded and Overwhelmed. And uh, this is dedicated to the memory of your daughter so that I know that your experience with writing this uh, has a lot to do with your experience, what you and your family went through in, in caring for Perrin and, and watching her struggle and suffer and seeing that whole thing. But there's a lot more that comes into this and I believe there are guys listening who are feeling overwhelmed and overloaded and burdened and like there's no margin in their lives. So so give us a quick overview of what you share in Space to Breathe and how it could benefit men to get their hands on something like this as a resource. Yeah, and I think I'll have to, to step back uh, to a little bit of a season before my daughter's cancer because this was the grace of God that he prepared my wife, Weezy, and I through a whole season uh, for what we were going to deal with uh, when Perrin was diagnosed with cancer. So back in, in probably, I think it was 1991, uh, all of the message of hope for overloaded came out of our own experience of being completely overloaded and overwhelmed. And at the yeah. particular point in uh, 89, 90, uh, I was involved in running four different businesses. I was teaching in Sunday school. I was an elder in the church. Uh, we were beginning our family. Perrin was born in, in late 1989. Uh, my sons were born shortly after that. And I was going 100 miles an hour. And I was going 100 miles an hour all for good things. I was running the businesses. I wasn't doing anything dramatically wrong. I was trying to serve in the church, but I was absolutely exhausted. And in that exhaustion, as is the case with most of us, I was miserable. So I would push as hard as I could through the day, and I would come home and just crash. And I wasn't much fun to be around because none of us are when we're overloaded and overwhelmed. And I couldn't figure out, I thought I was serving God. How could this be going so badly when I'm trying so hard to do what is good? And that was when I ran into uh, Richard Swenson's book, Margin, which was just a paradigm changing breath of fresh air where all of a sudden he wrote and he spoke that God does not desire for us to live overwhelmed, exhausted, anxious, stressed out lives. And all of a sudden I realized that God's way was totally different from the way that I was living. 
And so my wife and I began what was really probably a 15-year type of process of learning to uh, create space in our lives. We began with the countercultural practice of practicing the Sabbath, which was very countercultural because I couldn't get things done in seven days, and now I was supposed to get it done in six days. But we began to get a little bit of breath as we practiced the Sabbath. We started to just get rid of all of the distractions, and this was pre-smartphones, pre so begin to get rid of the distractions and just focus on the important things. And we realized how tough it was to do this, but we also began to experience just some small little winds of, of, of joy again for the first time as we began to get a little bit rested and we began to focus on what's important and, and toss off the extra things. And so it was about a 10 to 15 year process of learning that lesson. And as I taught about that in the church, I could see this visceral reaction in everybody. Oh, you mean God doesn't mean for us to be miserable? It was, it was crazy. People couldn't believe that. And so through that 15-year process, we, we began to, to right-size life. And then when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, we knew exactly where to go. We knew that the only way we would survive this incredibly painful, hard season. She was diagnosed with stage four kidney cancer that had metastasized mm. to her spine. She was a sophomore in college, beautiful girl of, of deep faith, just a heart-wrenching situation. But we knew sure. that the only way we could survive is to create not just a little bit of space, but we had to double down on creating space in our lives. And so we did, I, I backed off 75% from all of my work and business, took a, a, a pay cut, everything, whatever it took to create space, because we knew that was the only way that we could not only take care of her, but survive it ourselves. Then after my daughter passed away in 2016, and I had this large vacuum from all the time that I had spent taking care of her. And I realized as I looked around me within the church that all of these good friends that were trying so hard to be faithful were living overwhelmed, stressed out lives, even though they had nev never been through a storm. And I realized, man, this message is too important. We are we are sure. missing the boat, you know, in the in the church because we bought into this Americanized type of Christianity of high speed faithfulness. Yeah. And so that's when I decided, you know, I, I need to to give all of my effort to trying to help people find life again and find rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's yeah. what uh, space to breathe again is all about. Yeah. You, you used a term that I love. I mean, there's plenty there to seize on, but you said we right-sized life. We needed to right-size our lives. And I think that's, that's such a picture of what our American culture doesn't do, because we, we try to supersize and 
just maximize and take everything to the ultimate edges, try to squeeze every bit of production we can out of people and machines and products. And, and we end up overworking ourselves and everything that we own. And just we, we create chaos when we do that. So, so give me a couple of specific examples other than the Sabbath thing of what you did to right size your life. But what are some examples of some things that you guys dialed back that may have some comparison to today, some things that some young families could be thinking about? Sure. I, I'll add one more thing to what you were saying, because uh, counterintuitively, our desire to fill life up and to maximize life, this culture of more actually backfires on us. And we live lesser lives because our time when we go at this speed ends up being given to the unimportant. And that's what what we found to be so true. Even though we were just trying to find rest, we found uh, more meaningful lives as we uh, right sized. So I'll, I'll give just a couple of examples. You know, one of the one of the ways that the habits I had fallen into in that business world and and with so much on the plate was going so fast early in the morning. So I would sleep up until the last minute. I would jump out of bed because I was always exhausted because I'd stayed up too late the night before. And I would rush through my shower and rush out the door. And I realized part of right-sizing life was I needed to create some space in the morning. And so I began slowly with just you know 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I began to create this delightful, beautiful space in the morning for me to be with God and to go slowly, to be able to think about what was important coming up in the day, to be able to pray through what was going on. And that space in the morning became a core value, a core practice habit for me now for 30 some years that enables me to see each day for what it it should be. So that practice that is so difficult that we've come to think, wow, we're doing really good if if we have a five minute quiet time in the morning. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. We can't do God in five minutes. And so that was a practice. Another uh, practical uh, solution is with raising uh, kids that were very athletic, two sons who loved every sport in the, in the game. We made the decision as a family to not do travel sports. Uh, it was, it was uh, not a popular decision. Uh, Our guys were very good athletes. They were very capable of performing at a very high level. But we realized that the price that we would pay by taking on that travel, the expense of it, the time, it would disrupt everything else. And it was a hard decision, one that, frankly, and fortunately, because we made that decision, the, the boys didn't resist it at all. But it gave our family the little bit of extra space on the weekends and, you know, during time to be able to be a family. And I I realize and I don't want to demonize anybody who's choosing to do that. 
but it was a very practical um, in the in the weeds decision that we said, you know, if we want to create space, something's got to give. And that's not something that yeah. we want to invest in. Yeah. You know, uh, I want to stop there and just kind of plant on that for a moment, because one of the things that I observe about that whole experience and, and um, is that one of the prices that you pay when you dive into this travel sports world, and I, I'm going to pick on this for just a little bit, is that they often will have you away for the weekend and you lose connection with the local church, consistent connection with the local church. And that is so important. It's important to you, dad, but it's even more important for your children. If you really want to raise kids that understand the value of being connected to the local church, then then that has to be modeled in some way. And sometimes that requires us to make some hard decisions. And I, I would just say that that's one of the costs that you must count in this whole question of whether or not we're going to do travel athletics. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to jump off on that boat and kind of ride around on it a little bit, but I, I do see that um, we lose connection with the local church with a lot of those families. Right. And sometimes then that, that team becomes the, the primary community and it's, uh, it's not always a godly community. And so we just have to be aware of that. Did you want to say anything else to that, Tommy? Yeah, to- no, I, I agree. And and the problem has gotten worse over the years since we made that decision because now, you know, Sundays are are not sacred in the slightest. So even if you're not doing travel sports, uh, your your teams practice and have games uh, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. You know, even I see so consistently uh, families are rushing through Sunday to get to activities for the kids. And again, I don't, you know, these are difficult decisions and I don't want to suggest that there's, there's only one right way of doing it. But the point is that creating space is utterly practical. You have to find practical ways of making this work in your life. You have to find practical ways of managing uh, the smartphone. You have to find practical ways of, of taking the noise out of your life or opening up your schedule. So uh, that was just one example in our lives. Thank you for joining us on the Nobleman Podcast. We hope that you were blessed and challenged by our conversation with Tommy Thompson. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to tune back in next week for the second part of our conversation with Tommy. You can also check out the Noble Warriors website for more resources for mentoring. We ask that you share this episode with others, joining us in our mission to see churches equip men to walk with Christ and lead well. God bless you.